Hello, and welcome back to City Wave Cinema. I'm America. James is currently not in the room. He is uh, making me some tea because he loves me. Um, we are still talking about the movie The Accountant. And we're going to open up on a scene that... I was really confused about when I watched it. Um, we just left off where the Medina pulled the audio file. Now we're jumping to a different scene where we see that same assassin-y type guy in a house with this dude. Um, I was really confused throughout most of this portion of it because I just didn't... I didn't really understand the context or why I was watching this assassin guy and it was really jarring for me most of the scenes he was in. Um, but he's basically giving this dude an ultimatum saying he can overtake his insulin and die uh, himself by his own hand or they're going to have to murder him and his wife and all this stuff. Um, so while he's talking about all this, he's eating a pie um, and drinking milk. Seeing adults drink milk is weird to me. Like, I acknowledge that adults drink milk. I drink milk. But for some reason, seeing, like, adults drink milk is weird. Because it's just not, like, a thing that you picture adults doing, really. Um. And once again, I wrote, like, I really don't care about this other plot that's happening. Um. Like, I was like, I don't, I don't know why I should care. I don't understand what's going on. And then, um, I figure out why I should care in this scene. And I take that all back, like, immediately, because I'm just like, oh, JK. Because we basically find out that this is the guy that was in the Life Robotics Company, um, who was supposedly, like, laundering the money. And this assassin took him out. So now... Like, the, the two plots, the one that I don't care about and the one with the accountant are kind of, like, merging together. But for a while there, I literally didn't understand why I was watching any of this, and it was really confusing. Um, I then made a note, because we got another scene of him doing, uh, of the accountant. We jumped from that scene to the accountant, who is, uh, he comes back on the next day after this dude has died. Comes back to the office, um, and they're erasing all his work off the walls. Um, and he is freaking out. Because, as we saw in the puzzle scene, like, his big thing is he needs to finish the project. Like, he needs to finish what he's doing. Otherwise, like, his brain can't... He's, he gets very upset. Um, so they're erasing all his work. The CEO comes in and says... This dude just died basically because you were hired, because we were digging this up. He's like, I don't know what's going on, but I don't want to see you again. Here's what you're owed. Goodbye. You're done. And, like, he, the accountant gets very upset. Like, he's just flustered. He's like, I, I have to finish. I have to finish. And then... Dana comes in, she basically overhears everything. She's like, is it true that, like, what we found is the reason why this guy committed suicide? And all this stuff. And he's like, I don't know, I don't know. 
I just need to finish this. I need to finish. And she, like, walks off. Um, and then we see how still as an adult, even with all this training he's been through, how much of a struggle it is for him still that he isn't, um, that he can't finish something, how awful that still is to him because suddenly his whole routine's thrown off, like he can't park his car correctly in his garage, he's struggling to like do normal daily tasks and he jumps right into, which is why I thought it was more of like an abusive technique to himself instead of a training strategy. Um, he jumps right into this like uh, overstimulation therapy, quote unquote, that he does or training where there's lights flashing, loud music, and he's rolling the bar on his skin. Um, we already talked a little bit about that in the SIB nature of it all, so I'm not really going to go into that. Um, but in this scene, we get another flashback to his life as a child, um, where his dad is forcing him and his brother to learn martial arts. Um... Finding a physical outlet is something that I highly recommend and is very common. Um, they're helpful. They help kids regulate and self-regulate and get some of that energy out and gives them a place like if they do have aggressive tendencies to get that aggression out. Um, however, this is child abuse um, in this particular scene because, yes, highly recommend that you get your kid into karate. Do not highly recommend that you allow someone to beat their your kid till they're black and blue in the sake of building character or building up resilience or building up strength. Um, just not okay. And then it's in the middle of this scene um, that I begin to wonder where his brother is in all this because we see his brother in the background a lot, but he like doesn't as a kid, we see him in the background a lot in these flashbacks, but he doesn't like really, we're not, it's not clear on where he is now or what happened with him. Um, and then I put two and two together and I just asked James, I was like, oh, is that other dude the brother? And James was like, yeah. And I was like, ah, I'm smart. I figured it out. So the assassin dude that's been popping up in all these scenes is his brother, is the accountant's brother. Um, which does make the scenes more relevant and more important, which is huge, because, like I said, up until that point, I did not give a single flying fuck. Um, so now I have more reason to pay attention to them. And through this, we start to see him put together all the puzzle pieces. Um, so we see... Because he, the thing is, he has to finish the task. And now that he's found, like, this big money laundering scheme and all this stuff, he's got to finish this job out. And he kind of is starting to put the puzzle pieces together of what's going on and why. Um, and he's talking to his phone lady. She's British. Um, and she only talks to him over the phone. Basically gives him the jobs and, like, does all his, like identity cover-ups and all the hacking and all the stuff that he needs on that side. Um, so we've talked to her, like, a couple times, but this, uh, during this scene, she becomes really important, um, because, hey, welcome back, James. What's up, um, here? So, 
he starts to put together the pieces of everything that's going on. Another one of the main people is, um, I need to make sure I'm not getting lost in the plot here. Where are you? I just finished the scene where the kids were learning martial arts. So. Okay. Please hold. Okay. Pulling it up. I'm going to blow on my very hot tea. So he has so much dead air. Oh my god, where is it? He has that vision much earlier than I thought. Yes. Uh, have we talked about him finding out where the missing money is? Yes. Uh-huh. I've gone to the part where, like, uh, so the, the stuff that just happened was he was basically, like, fired. Right, then, he didn't get to finish his task. Yeah, and he didn't get to finish, so now he's trying to finish it, and, like, he's putting all the pieces together. Okay. Sidebar, there's a cut to the, someone we met earlier that we didn't talk about in the last episode. It's the CFO of the company, the chief financial op, uh We did officer. talk about him. Did we talk about him? Yes, you made a point to talk about him, because I skipped the other scene with him. No, that's the CEO. Oh. The CFO. The oh, CFO. that dude. Yeah. yeah. So we we cut to the CFO's house. We already talked about that. Where he gets threatened by yes. Brax. Okay. Threatened and then eventually does die. Kills yes. himself. Yes, kills himself uh, with the right. insulin. Didn't get to finish it. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, he overstimulates himself, hits himself with a stick. Yep. Um, flashback to the jail where he's repeating the names. Of the clients? No, I didn't make okay. any notes about that. So, we've talked about him flashing back to, uh, shit. Fucking reset this, goddammit. Um, we've talked about him flashing back to seeing, uh, his sort of mentor in crime, Jeffrey Tambor. Yes. Uh, in jail. Um, so, he, it's another flashback to that where he's learning social interactions from this guy. Uh, as well as at night, because they're cellmates, um, Jeffrey Tambor is basically quizzing him on the encyclopedic knowledge of Jeffrey Tambor's clients that he used to cook the books for. Um, all criminal, all this stuff, Gambino, family, blah, 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 all this stuff. Um, we've already had the vision back with the... Uh, martial arts instructor prior to uh that happened in the middle of last episode we just never talked about it Mm -mm. according to the synopsis on imdb it did but i think you're right i think it happens later i think it happens about now yeah um anyways i just had a note uh, about physical outlets and stuff so in the morning after the blow up about not being able to finish it Homeboy goes out to the farm again to go shooting again. Yes, that's right. Um, so he's out there coloring those faces onto the melons with his Sharpie. Uh, and then he rolls over onto his back in the truck and just sort of rests there for a second. And then we have another flashback to the boys in France. Now, uh, we see a sh- we're in this car. It's raining. We're sort of in some weird, like, under a highway or some shit. Uh, and... Chris, our protagonist, is a young boy. Uh, his glasses are broken. 
it's fucked up glass, it's glasses, uh, they're getting this not unkind but not friendly chat from their father about deciding whether or not to be victims or to be not aggressors but to stand up for yourself, basically. It's that's the nice way of putting it. It's really just egging his children on to fucking go kick the shit out of the bullies that are underneath the overpass. Um, so he does this whole speech. Chris is like, they're just glasses. He says to his hands because he won't look at anybody. Uh, and eventually decides, okay, I'm going to go. And so he gets out the car and he goes over there and full sucker punches a guy in the face and then like kicks another guy. It's crazy. The dad, like, counts down, like, five Mississippi and then says go to his brother, uh, Chris's brother, who pops out the car. This is Braxton, by the way. Pops out the car and starts running off to fucking help his brother with the fight. And that's the flashback scene. Now, back to reality. Uh, Surprise, surprise. there goes gravity. It's, we're not going to shoot melons today, kids. Um, We're going to shoot heads. Yes. The other type of melon. So as he came screaming out of his driveway and his routine was all whack, uh, earlier he didn't notice a blue sedan pull out behind him and follow him. He has been followed to the farm by henchmen who are, unbeknownst to him, henchmen of Braxton. They're Braxton's boys who helped kill the CFO earlier in the movie. Who are now trying to tie up loose ends for this whole money laundering nonsense. So they go to take the farmers hostage they make the farmers like call in chris they take the wife out hold her at gunpoint they're like yell at him bring him in so she's hollering and hooting and hollering and fucking you can't see chris any fucking where and so he shoots through the wall of the house which it's a barrett 50 caliber sniper rifle does he? I just thought he shot through the open door oh he might have he might have shot through the open door because he was the dude was standing right in the like doorway holding the gun to the Yeah, wife. the shot the shot's kind of weird with it and I'm not sure why they did it this way but it's just the way they did it it's just how it works. Um the shot that you see is a straight on of the elderly farmer wife who is out like wringing her hands outside directly next to her is the door and then there's the wall directly next to her. Uh where She's being held at gunpoint. You can see the henchman's arm with the gun sticking out from the door where he's obviously sort of like taking some sort of cover. And then he, you hear a zip and he just sort of explodes, uh, which is one to happen when you get shot with a rifle that fires a 50 caliber round. Um, you just sort of disapparate. Um, so that's chaos. The other henchman's like, I don't want to fucking be here anymore. And so he grabs the both of them, and he's like, we're leaving now, let's go. He goes to get in his car. Uh, as it turns out, a 50 caliber sniper rifle is, in fact, labeled as an anti-material weapon, which means it's not just for clicking heads. Uh, you put a slug into a car engine, and you will disassemble that car engine. Uh, Christian knows this, fully stops that car from functioning with two bullets, I think. Uh, so then he makes the farmer go get his truck, pull that around. They start... Not to, Christian. Yes, he yeah. makes the, the, the henchman makes the farmer get the truck to pull it around. They load the wife into the truck. Henchman gets in the back. He's got the gun. Christian's at the house now. He walks across the porch, shoulders, fires, 
puts a slug into the truck, uh, which starts it steaming and listing to the side, starts going out of control. He ditches the rifle, runs, jumps into the bed of the truck as it's still moving. He sees what's going on. The wife is driving. The farmer's struggling with the henchman and the gun. It's chaos. Uh, Christian's in the bed of the truck looking through the back windshield, sees it, sends his knee through the glass, shattering it, and then just sort of like wrestles the henchman out into the back of the truck, gets the gun on the way, and throws it behind him out of the truck so it's not in there anymore. Farmer's wife hits the brakes as they start rumbling in the truck, or in the bed of the truck. They go over the front, bounce off the hood, onto the ground. Uh, there's now just the two of them. They're going to square off. The trucks come to a halt. The farmer's wife are just sort of sitting there watching this whole thing go down. Henchman whips out a knife. And so our boy takes off his belt, hits him in the face with it, hits him in the hand with it, and then, like, arm checks him or something. There's a fight. It goes badly for the henchman. He loses his knife immediately. I don't think he even actually hits Christian. Uh, gets dropped down into a choke of some sort where the belt gets wrapped around the henchman's arm, which he then uses to choke the henchman himself, uh, twisting it around, and he starts grilling him for the name of his employer. Which this, to this guy's credit, he does not give up. Um, starts grilling him for his employer. All he says is, my left pocket, pulls a badge out of it. It's Dana Cummings' badge. Surprise, it's Anna Kendrick again. She's on a badge. Uh, he says, henchman goes, kill you both, that's all we know. Uh, this enrages our boy. Because, of course. And so he snaps the neck of this guy, sort of like, nods to the farmer and his wife and gives him a little wave like all right i'll be seeing you and uh gets his shit and fucking scrams and i mean scrams my man is playing gta he does not regard for any sort of traffic rules of any kind running red lights running stop signs doesn't give a fuck and he calls his uh computer voice lady on the phone who has the smiley face from the poster on the phone it's a symbol and he's like, burn the identity, burn everything. We've got to change everything now. Uh, and so they get down what his vehicle is. They reassign his VIN number and his license and basically just disappear Christian Wolf and turn him into somebody else. Yes? It's Christopher. Is it? Is it? It's Christian. His name is Christopher. I thought this identity was Christopher Wolf. I think his name is Christian. I think this identity is Christopher Wolf. Because Christopher Wolf well, is the famous mathematician. Well, which one's the famous mathematician? Is Christopher Wolf the famous yes. mathematician? Math That's his identity. His actual, the character's actual name is Christian. Christopher Wolf is, there isn't, is a German musicologist. He's a music guy. No, Christopher Wolf isn't real. Are you sure? I'm positive. It would have popped up. Christian Wolf is a famous, is a German philosopher. Philosopher. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. I thought it was. Yeah, it's Christian Wolf. His real name is Christopher. Okay, I got it mixed up. Yeah, his real name is Christopher. His fake name is Christian Wolf. Got it. So they burn the identity of Christian Wolf. They pull up another one. Someone named Bool. I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, but it's not important because no one refers to him as that name for the rest of the movie. Um. So they burn that identity, and then the voice is trying to get him to not go rescue Dana, and he's like, gonna do it. Uh, and so they go, heavy sigh, because 
emotions and shit. So he goes, does he just go straight there? Yeah. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Don't worry about Dana. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he just goes straight to her apartment uh, and mops the floor with the people who are there to get her. I have notes. Go for it. Yeah. Um, he tries calling her first. Well, the voice tries calling her oh, that's for true. him. Um, and it shows up as an unknown number. No caller ID. Uh, and she just, like, Dana just immediately, like, declines that call, silences her phone. And I'm like, same. No one answers calls for unknown numbers. And if you do, you're a psychopath. True facts. Seek help. The only time I've ever done it is when someone's like, like, for repairs with our house yeah if if the warranty guy is like hey look for an unknown number and answer the call then it's like okay well i'll answer these yeah but that's like a specific like you're expecting a call yeah just a random call don't fucking answer that if a random call shows up from a number you don't know don't fucking answer that like they can leave a message if it's really important yeah also that's a great way for scammers like if it is a scam call and you don't know the number they can start like stealing they have voice recognition now so they can start like stealing your voice and using it to like basically scam other other people so do not answer calls from numbers you don't know this is your psa um and then yeah he does mop the floor with these four giant guys that they brought to take down this one young female accountant i don't know if you know this about anna kendrick but she is not very large she is teeny she's just a little bitty and i don't know if you know this about ben affleck but he's not small it's just, I was like, did they really need four guys to apprehend? They sent two to go get the male accountant. But they need... They, they sent two guys to get the fucking murderer. But they need four to apprehend the small child, like the small young adult female. I, I okay. don't make the rules. Um. Also, A plus to all of Dana, the character's thinking in the scene because it's exactly what I would have done in this scene. I would have found a room, locked myself in. I would have started calling 911 right away, but that's if I had the opportunity. Um, I also would have grabbed the toilet seat and then I was like, yeah, break his hand because he punched through the door and she did that. And I was like, Dana thinks like me in this scene. Yes. Which is how you survive in a movie, children. Um, And then we see... Christian come in and he's bopping them, taking them out, shooting them, whatever. And then he shoots a guy through the door, like the actual wood of the door, and then comes in and shoots him again on the ground. Well, no, like he knocks on the door. The dude opens it with the gun. And as he opens the door, just all the jam, the door opens just a crack, like maybe an inch. And he shoots him through that little gap. Regardless, he shoots them. He, He goes down. Yeah. And then he shoots him again. And I said, always do the most. Always ensure that people are dead. Because when you don't ensure people are dead, that's how you get fucking sequels and people coming back from, like, near-death situations. Like... Two for flinching, that's what I say. Like, literally, I will never, ever be mad at anyone for being too thorough. That goes for lots of things. Investigations into real-life crimes. Uh... Health and wellness, anything really, you could never 
I will never fault you for being too thorough. I'm never going to be mad at you and be like, wow, that was just a waste of time trying to find out what was wrong with this person. You did all these tests. It's a waste of time. No, I will never be mad at you for doing too much. Like, always do more. So the fact that he shot him when he was already down. Good job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, James? Just such a wild tangent about <laughs> nothing. This is... It's just funny to me. It's just funny to me. It's just, well, no, because it comes from a place of listening to true crime, and that's something that Elaine always says, is I will never be mad at you for doing too much. Um, It just comes up a lot, where people just assume things. And when you assume things, it's not good. Um, And then... We have to take a peek at the IRS. Yes. So, the, I mean, just the next block for, for the it. scene is uh, we switch back to Medina, who is running famous mathematicians who are oh, yes. accountants through the IRS to see if they've got anybody who would match. And they're looking for people who are, like, declaring income of over 500000 uh, and they're not finding 25 anybody. 25 to 35. Yeah, 25 to 35, male, Caucasian, all this shit. They're trying to find him through legitimate means. So then they eventually get one more uh, guy named Christian Wolf, who declared an income of 75000 which is about average for a CPA, so it's not untoward or weird. And on a hunch, she has the IRS guy pull up the reported uh, incomes for the businesses in the little mall little strip mall around him uh and they're all over 400 grand uh but they're all cash flow businesses like a laundromat like a chinese restaurant uh other businesses can't remember off the top of my head but they're all like cash heavy not credit heavy uh and so they pull up all this information that only the government has access to and they find out that christian wolf is a managing partner in all of the businesses in the strip mall and his accounting firm is called ZZZ Accounting, so it's at the bottom of the fucking phone book. So he doesn't have a lot of foot traffic in to do taxes for. His real job doesn't really happen much. Oh, I get it. That's smart. Yeah, it's so that he can cook the books for the mob. It's so that he doesn't get a lot of business. He's doing yes. it on purpose. He, triple Z? That is at the bottom of the bottom of the fucking phone book. Very intentionally so that no one fucking But no one in. used phone books in 2016. Yeah, so. but they might have if they lived in the middle of nowhere in Illinois, which is where he is. He's far from Chicago, which is where she is. Anyways, uh, they get all that, and then there's a an aside of uh, Raymond King talking at a press conference about another bust where he cites them using good old-fashioned investigative work to get the job done. Uh, and then we cut to his office where uh, she declares that she's found him and they're going to check up on his uh, records and shit because uh, she believes they found their guy, which is true. She did find him. So now we cut to the hotel. We've gone to the fancy hotel. Go. I did just have one little aside as we start going into the hotel. Because mm-hmm. did we... You skipped the whole scene where they were in his bunker. Oh, I did skip the scene where they were in the bunker. Um, I just straight up ignored it. Oops. So we, he goes, because he rescued Dana, and he takes her to uh, his storage unit, which houses his trailer with all his things in it. 
he um, tells her to wait outside. And it's in this moment that I have the question of um, how did they get on separate sides of the crime ring? Like the true brothers? Like they're, they're, it's just very fascinating that they ended up on like opposing sides of this crime world. Um, His brother's a hitman. I know. And but, he's a cook the books guy. But I found it fascinating that like they ended up on opposite sides of this one crime ring. I guess, yeah. Like that that's all I was saying. I, was, I really thought about it. It was just fascinating. Like what are the odds? And then I, I he'll tell me the odds. That's a reference 37%. to later on in the movie. Um but he tells Dana to wait outside of his trailer while he basically goes and gets all the things that he's going to need to like hop out of town, change his identity, all that jazz. Um, he tells her to stay outside, and then she just goes inside and starts looking around and investigating shit. And I was like, this is why you're wanted for death right now, Dana. Like, this is why you're wanted, is, and this is how you're going to die, is because you're too nosy. Go poking your nose around where it doesn't belong. Yeah. That's how you found the, like, crooked money in the first place. And now you're doing it with... The guy who you just saw murder a bunch of people. But I digress. <laughs> um, they, they get in... Um, he gets all the stuff and he basically tells her, like, we this is what's about to happen. Um, they go to a hotel, they check into a room, try to lay quiet for the night, and they start trying to get to know each other kind of more um he talks about his childhood and how uh he moved around 34 times in 17 years um which i had a note about because unstable environment is bad for any child but especially those with autism so it could have led to more of his things being worse in adulthood and more of his having him having more challenges as a child which is Kind of why, it, I mean, people that move around a lot, they're not wrong. Moving does affect the children. But it could be why he was having so many challenging behaviors as a child is because he was constantly feeling like he was not in a stable environment. And children crave stability, so it, they will start to act out. Um, even at the slightest change. For example, we have a kiddo uh, this year whose parents travel a lot. So, like, one... One or both of them is constantly out of town. And on the days when um, one of the parents leaves, this child who is fully potty trained has accidents. And so we started to correlate that it was whenever a parent was out of town. That doesn't really explain why this child's doing what they're doing, but it does just show that there's a correlation to the instability in his environment and his behavior. So, unstable environments are bad. Um, and then he basically tells uh, Dana that he has high-functioning autism. Um, my only note to that is just since we're talking about all this and bringing the autism community into it, high-functioning isn't really correct anymore. You wouldn't say you have high-functioning autism. Right. Um, that's just not something you would say. Now you would say that he is less affected hmm. from autism or by autism. Interesting. 
Um, Because there are people that are more affected and less affected. But saying high functioning implies that there's a lower functioning and we don't want to treat, again, it goes back to what I said at the beginning, we don't want to treat people as less than because they have a diagnosis. Um, yeah. That's, that's that. Um, and then Dana goes on to kind of tell about her life story and why she's just as kooky and crazy so they can bond over it. Um, it's, it's, I'll be honest, <laughs> it is not one of my favorite bonding scenes between, like, because you see it all the time in movies where you have, like, the hyper-violent uh, sort of protagonist lead, whether it's male or female, and the inevitable pseudo-love interest who is not hyper-violent and is as close to normal as you can get. And you always try to have, like, some scene where they come to some sort of common ground so that they can look at each other as equals in some way. And this is not one of the good ones. This is a super half-assed attempt, I feel like. I feel like they got to this part of the movie in script writing and went, I don't know, what if she gambled or something and he's good at money? And it was like, none of that is good. None of it's good. The dialogue is, like, mediocre. The story points are fucking trash. It's 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 what takes this movie from being a 10 out of 10 for me down to a 7 out of 10 is this sequence where we try to make the two of them compatible in some way. And it could be done. Sure. Absolutely could be. If you put like any effort into it, it just feels so untried. It feels like no one bothered to try on the team. She tells a story about how when she wanted to go to prom, she wanted to wear this dress. It's to, The point of the story is to prove that they both want acceptance from people. That's what she was trying to say. That yeah. doesn't matter if you have autism or you don't. You want to be accepted by people. So she tells a story about how she wanted to get this really expensive dress for prom so that people would walk in and go, wow, and accept her for who she was. Because other than that, she was kind of an outcast and kind of weird. How Anna Kendrick was ever an outcast in any form of life, I would like to know. <laughs> in any universe, no one's going to look at Anna Kendrick and make her an outcast. That's like, just not how it's going to go. She's pretty. <laughs> Sorry. There, there's, there's no no bones about it. She's pretty. Um, But basically, so she wants to go buy the really expensive dress and do the whole thing at prom. So she teaches herself blackjack, teaches herself how to count cards, teaches herself all the tricks in the book. She goes to Vegas. The funniest part is this. And she loses all of it. all her money except for $20, which she throws in a slot machine and accidentally wins 2000 She, like, jackpots a nickel slot for two grand to cover all the stuff after going to all the effort to count cards and learn how to count cards and take a fucking casino for its money and just gets fucking washed in the casino. That's the funniest shit. All this prep work to be like, uh, I'll tell you this, there's a life lesson for that. You could prep all you want for something, and sometimes the house fucking wins anyways. Yeah, tell me about it. Surprise. Um, all this to be said, I fucking hate prom. <laughs> that's, that's all I had to say about that whole entire scene. And then we start to get this weird, like, romantic tension between the two characters. And that felt really weird to me. Um, because we know that, like, Dana just graduated college. I don't know how old Christian is. 
But that's what I posed the question, is what is the age difference between these two? Because I felt uncomfortable. It felt too big for me. It felt like there was too big an age difference. Like, I didn't, I saw her, I saw him as like a mentor in the field and her as like a underling. And it made me feel uncomfortable. Um, in real life, he is 12 years older than Anna Kendrick. Which is still weird. It's a lot. It's not like super weird, but it is a lot. It's just like for me that I have to think about the time like you said 10 years, right? 10 years. What, what do you mean 10 years? They're 10 years apart. Is that 12. 12? Yeah. So for me, that's like thinking about the fact that when they were 22, she was 10. Yeah. And when you put it that way, it just makes me feel uncomfortable. I get it. Um, then we're still talking to the person on the phone, the phone person, the British chick. Um, and I just wanted to, I, I was at this point that I was like, who is this phone person? Like, who is this person getting all this information, sending him on jobs, like getting him jobs, all this stuff. Who is this person? Cause like generally like the, the, the guy in the chair as Red Web refers to it, you like get to know them as much as you do the protagonist. And I have no idea who this chick is. Mm. I have no idea. None. She hasn't been referred to by name. She hasn't been introduced in any way. And it was just like this moment, this spy movie where it's like, who's the person in the chair? Who are they? Um, and we, I believe this is where uh, Braxton, the brother, the assassin, the hitman, is going to go kill uh, the sister of the, comp- of the company. Yeah, the C- yeah, the CEO's sister. Um, Who's going to take the company public? Also, I don't know about your synopsis thing, because in my notes, uh, we didn't get the French scene till after he assassinates the lady. It must just be out of order on the synopsis thing. It's felt really weird and jank reading through it on here, so I don't I don't think it's all that correct. I just realized cuz I had a bunch of notes about the French fight scene. Okay. Up here. Um fuck me. This podcast is going to be all the fuck out of whack because of that. God damn it. You tried to you tried to fix it. I tried so hard. Got fucking nowhere. I was like, you tried to fix me and keep me on track, and in doing so, you have ruined me. <laughs> I have royally fucked up the plot. Um, My only job. <laughs> God damn it. So the, Can't trust everything you read on the internet, kids. We get to the scene, and he's following Braxton and, like, tracking him from behind. And Braxton senses this and, like, shoots at Christian who ducks, and then he loses track of him. Christopher. Christopher? That's his name. I thought it was Christian. No, Christian Wolf is the identity. Christopher is his name. Christopher is in... Okay, Christopher <laughs> ducks behind a car, in the, but then he loses track of Braxton. And then for some reason, magically, we go from being all like, oh, shoot, where did he go? To being inside the house, seeing this woman dead. It's no transition. A, such a jarring cut. Um, which is I wrote, how the fuck did we get here? It's not clear. We don't know. Don't know how we got here, but we did. <clears throat> then there's the French fight scene. And then, see, now I have a scene about uh Medina and like doing the IRS thing. Well, no, she goes up to the dude and she's like 
here's all my evidence. I found him. I know who it is. Blah, 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 blah. And I wrote. Yeah, that tracks. And she's like, I cracked it. Like, she's all proud of herself. And I just, like, said out loud, I was like, she got fucking lucky. Like, she got so lucky that she, A, pulled that audio clip, B, got that. Like, she got way lucky. Mm-hmm. There is no real skill in there. She just got lucky. Mm-hmm. And then, see, this is where I had it. I said this set up to this. This is just about the French scene. I'll just throw this in here if you remember last time. And I said I wrote the setup to this kid rumble match is really weird. Um, that's, it all is. I, that's all I said about that scene. So dumb. And then I wrote, because then we get to, uh, we're setting up for the big climax of the movie, right? We're setting up for it. The brothers meeting and all this stuff. Um, So we find out that Braxton's employer is the CEO of Life Robotics. Because they're at his house and they're helping him. It's Living Robotics. Living Robotics. They're helping him and saving him and like helping him form security and all this stuff. And I just was like, this guy's behind it really... Yeah. Like, I didn't see that coming, but I'm annoyed by the... Or I guess it... I The reason is, is because it's a cliche thing. I guess that the CEO is behind the money laundering and it's like, I don't know. I It just felt like a really, like, <sighs> for me, that was like the worst part of this whole movie, that the CEO of the company isn't responsible for the money laundering. It's just like... <clears throat> what is it like again? <clears throat> All right. Um, so... On that. I like, uh, I like how this movie ties everything together, though. They tie everything in this nice, pretty, like, little bow. Um, so I like that they're tying in the connections, how they all basically ended up at the same place at the same time. Like, they're doing all of that and tying everything together, which is just, I don't know, every time a movie does that, I really like it. I really like when things all... You really like when a plan comes together? Yeah. I, I like I like when there's, like, multiple storylines and then they all converge at, like, this one point in time. Oh, it's cool. Um, I wrote, mistake, never let them live. But I have no idea. I don't know why you wrote that. I don't know. But never he, let them live. Chris, Christopher doesn't let anybody live. Everyone he interacts with dies. Like, he kills everybody. Yeah, I don't know. What a weird note to have. I have no context, because then I'm all like, um, I'm talking about how, uh, Medina is finally learning all about Ray King's, like, reason and obsession for finding this guy. Ah, after they've gone to, uh, after they've gone to. Christians, or they've gone to Christopher's house and they, they found all, his, all his, his cameras and the one set of silverware and the one thermos and the minigun in the garage. Surprise, surprise. And uh, yeah, now we get the backstory on Ray. Um, oh. What? You figured it out? Yeah. What? Because when Ray is telling us, and he's he was the guy we were following in the first scene where they were, like, tracking through the apartment building and seeing all this murder happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it Ray is now the person investigating him right now and, like, all this stuff. And I just wrote, because Solomon, Christopher 
Yeah. Is um about to shoot Ray King and he's asking him all these questions and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, you a good dad, all that stuff. And then he lets them go and now I was like Ray Ray King's about to get your ass arrested like he's hunting you down. So that was my mistake, never let him live. Gotcha, gotcha. Cuz if tracks. you killed it them sense. It makes sense. Yes, okay. All right. We we got there. Sorry. Now I'm with it. So, um but he knows all this stuff about Christopher already. Yeah, he knows. He all knows this like shit. everything. So, like in my head, because the big reveal is coming up. Spoiler alert! But in my head, in this moment, I was like, if you knew all this information, like if you knew everything about this dude, why the fuck did you hire this chick? I don't understand. And then we kind of get the answer. Um, is that she is now being. Trained to take over as the was the director of crime at the uh, IRS. Yes, because he wants her to carry on the doing, like basically the. Um, okay, so Ray's career was built from that point. I was trying to get there. Okay, but you were stumbling, so I wanted to give you a push. Go. No, go. All right, fine. So, Christopher lets Ray live, and from that point on, Christopher's contact, the voice on the phone, starts giving Ray tips about jobs, or about cases to bust every... Once mo- a month. Yeah, once a month. Some big bust. And that's basically made the career of this guy. He was a mediocre nobody agent until... He starts getting these tips, right? So that's basically built his career. He has come to the understanding, Raymond King has, the director of crimes at the IRS, has come to the understanding that the best possible solution to having this this accountant threat out there in the world is to let him do his thing. And as long as we keep getting the tips, we can take down big fish crime and he can keep taking down little fish crime as he is one to do so his goal is to get medina in on this racket because he wants to retire and he's already hanging it over her head that she's a criminal and if he dumps that file out into the universe she'll be felony charges 20 years or more so he's kind of got her where he wants her, and then he slowly over time convinces her that this is fine. It's morally gray, but it's fine. And so that basically ends their little sequence, uh, except for one bit at the end. Uh, go ahead. I'm sure you've got notes. We've got a couple minutes to wrap up here. Oh, shit. Okay, so then we're at the climax of the thing um, where... Christopher is now rolled up on the CEO's house where Braxton is, and he starts shooting up the guards, and Braxton tells the CEO man to, like, get down, and he keeps, like, trying to stand up, and literally just stay the fuck down. If someone tells you to get down, you don't get up. Someone that you've specifically hired to protect your life. You don't get up until they say, clear, or something. Like, just stay down. Um... And then Christopher is literally just going up and, like, 
firing everybody, like, without even, like, barely an inconvenience to his life, just shooting and headshotting everyone. And my note at this exact moment is, because I'm me, I wrote, this guy is unnecessarily good at the pew-pews. Why are you like this? <laughs> um, but, like, why? <laughs> I And then I wrote, why do all these guards, like, these hired hitman assassins suck? Like, did they gra- did they all graduate from the Stormtrooper Academy? Because that's what it looks like. These are the actual notes I took while watching this movie, just so we're all clear. Good, this isn't for- Good lord. This isn't playing it up for the podcast. This isn't playing it up as a bit. No, these are my actual written notes. Um, he then gets this one guy that puts up a pretty good fight. It's like the last guard guy, and he is like- They are going- Added. They're punching each other, and he finally gets him, like, in the leg, the headlock with the legs on top of a flash grenade, and the flash grenade goes off in his stomach and in the guy's head. A brutal way to murder somebody. I did write ouchie. That was my actual note, was ouchie. Um, and I wrote, that's one way to do it for sure, but ow. Like, ow. And then at one point... The, um, through all the chaos, the CEO looks at Braxton and he's like, what is going on here? Because Braxton has been staring at the screen and figured out that it's his brother fighting. And so, like, the guy's been asking, what should we do? What's going to, like, all this stuff. And Braxton's just been glued to the screen, figuring out that it's his brother here, who he's been looking for for ten years. And at one point, the CEO just goes, what's happening here? And I just wrote, a family reunion! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck. Um, it was also during this point that I noticed that um, throughout this fight, Christopher does get hurt. and He gets shot in a couple places. He gets, like, sliced up from tumbling through glass. Like, all this stuff. And I wrote um, that that and the other scene, he might um, lack reaction to pain. He might have a high tolerance for pain or, like, what's known as a lack of reaction to pain. Because... He isn't really affected all that much, even when he's hurt or when he gets punched or hit. Um, And that's actually a common thing with children with autism, too, or people with autism, is that they don't feel sensations the same way. So I just thought that was fascinating and that might be a thing. Um, Really nice of you to say all that real quiet. It it was like you were trading an insider secret (laughs) and you were trying to keep it, like, on the down low. Like, it's a secret that people with autism may or may not experience senses in a different way. And some might say an advantageous way. But that's like, we got to keep that quiet or people are going <laughs> to think that it's a good thing. Like, what are you trying to pull here? What are you trying to say here? Why, why are you whispering it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, uh. But... So then the C, uh, Braxton and, um, Christopher start talking, like, they do the whole brother thing, they're like, why didn't you just, like, call me, or, like, I've been looking for you for ten years, blah, 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 and, like, they do this, like, whole thing, and we find out, like, the big hang-up and tear between brothers is that Christopher didn't call Braxton when he wanted to go see his mom's funeral, called his dad and that what that is what ended up leading to his dad's death so in the midst of this brotherly reunion as they're catching up and shooting the shit as it were 
The They have a quick fist fight. Well, that happens before all this. I was gonna say the CEO comes out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he um is like he breaks up their little reunion with these like Kill, like, I couldn't let you live. Like, you knew too much, basically. This was going to be a good thing. They were going to help lots of people. And you came in here and you were going to fuck it all up. And I was like, why didn't he just let Christopher finish the job? Because, like, he could have fixed the books. Like, you're his employer if you told him, like, oh, shit. Like, no, can you make that go away? He could have fixed the books. It's literally what he's fucking known for. Like, if you had just not tried to murder people and let him finish the job... It probably all would have been okay. For the CEO, anyways, it would have been a huge fraud, but yeah, it would have been But fine. for the CEO, it would have just all gone away. Yeah. Like, him... Him, his wife, his friend, they would or his sister, they would all be alive. Like, him panicking and, like, making that, like, panic decision to, like, shut it all down because he's a, he, he now knows that he's going to be the one that's exposed. If he had just let that ride out... They all would have gone away because he could have been all like, oh shit, that was me. Man, can you just make that go away, Christopher? And he would have been like, yeah, sure, I got you, bro. And the whole thing would have been fucking fine. Yeah, but he didn't, and then he gets shot in the face. Um, yes, he did. Because Christopher had to finish it, so he finished it. Um. And then... Oh, I in response to him getting shot in the head, I wrote, uh, should have stayed in the computer room, my man. <laughs> yeah, if he had just sat in the chair. Again, if he had just literally done nothing. Doing nothing would have saved him a lot of headache. Everything literally. would have been fine. <laughs> um, headache. You get shot in the forehead. We then get the ending scene of uh, the new treasury inspector late, uh, person, Medina. Um, like basically being brought into the fold of this whole like cover up and she basically gets a promotion without a promotion yeah she's basically the next in line to take up the cover up scheme of getting all like the tips from the phone lady and we also get uh the scene where it's another kid at the same center that um christopher was at at the beginning of the movie his parents are getting the whole spiel, doing the tour, um, and we find out that the person on the phone is actually the girl that Christopher met on his very first day in that center. Um, it is her that is doing all the communicating and stuff because she has a supercomputer that could basically hack into the Pentagon right now. Which as is her... stated by a computer guy who happens to be there. Um, as her, like, vo like speech voice, because she can't talk, so she just types it out on the computer. But it's such a high-tech computer that she's been helping Christopher do all these jobs for all these years. And we find that out when she talks to the little boy whose family was getting interviewed, and she says... Um, Hello, dreamboat. Hello, Dreamboat, in that particular voice, which is what she's called Christopher this whole time. And that audio has been the audio we've been listening to. And it just, it was tied in such a nice bow. 10 out of 10 on this movie. It was great. It was amazing. I loved it. Did you catch the that the reason that she has that computer is because of Christopher's excessive donations to that center? 
I didn't catch that. Okay, so be- he because he was basically laundering his own money through all those uh, businesses in his strip mall. He, but he kept making yeah, those big he donations. Kept making donations that were clean mm-hmm. to the the neuroscience center, and that's how she was able to buy the supercomputer because he was the private super generous donor, dumping a couple mil into this place every so often. Uh, just when I tell you this is a supercomputer, it's like three of my computers strapped together with duct tape and a small genius inside like it is <laughs> a fucking monster of a computer anyways yeah great fucking movie you said 10 out of 10 i said 10 out of 10 it was fantastic which I, is why i had such a hard time like talking about it on like on the podcast tonight is because i was so enveloped in the story i was like oh fuck i should take a note about something that's happened <laughs> and that's how i ended up with random lines like uh Never let him die, or never let him live. Yeah. So, so what's the next movie we're watching? The next movie that was voted on tonight as our movie to watch will be Oceans Eight. Oh Christ! The disrespect on the Oceans trilogy. We'll see how it goes. So I'm gonna have a lot of critique for this. We will be watching Oceans Eight next time, uh, two weeks from now. So, or two weeks from yesterday. Yeah. Sorry about that. Our bad. But yes, we will see you then on stream and on podcast. We will see you or hear from, listen to next week. Jesus Christ.